Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of The Build Podcast. I'm Ashley Minogue, a member of OpenView's expansion team, where I help software companies acquire, retain, and grow their customers. For our loyal listeners out there, you know that the past few seasons have been dedicated to a specific theme. This season, we're going to be chatting about a topic that people at OpenView are pretty obsessed with, product-led growth, which we'll refer to as PLG. Many of today's fastest-growing SaaS businesses have adopted a PLG strategy, such as Expensify, Calendly, Slack, and Dropbox. Product usage for these businesses serves as the primary driver of user acquisition, retention, and expansion, meaning these companies can forgo spending large sums of money on traditional marketing and sales activities. Instead, they rely heavily on the product itself to supply a pipeline of satisfied users and hand raisers, which they can turn into paying customers. And while every startup wants to grow as rapidly as possible, the key is to have smart but not reckless growth. That's where the PLG strategy comes in. This season, we've got a killer lineup of leaders from top PLG companies like Slack, ZipRecruiter, Typeform, and HubSpot, just to name a few. They've all helped successfully scale businesses using this model. I'm excited to share with you stories of their rapid but not reckless growth. Now on with the show. Today's episode is all about what the heck is product-led growth. We'll discuss what makes product-led growth companies unique and what investors are looking for. I'm joined by Scott Maxwell, founder and senior managing partner at OpenView, to hear his perspective. Scott, thanks for sitting down with me. Today, we're going to talk about all things growth, something you know a lot about. But before we dive into that, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you and OpenView a bit better. So take us back to the early 2000s when you were still at Insight Venture Partners. How did the idea behind OpenView come to be? Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. It was actually quite simple. I joined a great friend of mine, Jeff Horing, who founded Insight to help him set up Insight. And we set up this strategy at Insight. It worked really well. And eventually, my partners at Insight wanted to get a lot larger, which made it so that you couldn't execute this strategy purely. So Jeff actually helped me to spin out from Insight to form OpenView about 12 years ago. The strategy is quite simple. It's a highly focused strategy. Do one thing and do it extremely well. And our one thing is business software companies who have reached product market fit, we call it the expansion stage, and have a major strategy of selling into North American customers. Great. And so over the last 12 years, a lot has certainly happened. You've spoken to countless software founders, built out the team at OpenView, helped many software companies grow, and, and really just seen the software industry evolve. All the way back in 2005, in the very early days, you actually started talking about a phenomenon we now call product-led growth. The trend has certainly grown in popularity in recent years, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, what does product-led growth mean to you? Well, I think product-led growth has two aspects to it, or two angles that I think about it. One is from the customer perspective, the customer has lots of different interactions with the software company. It has product interactions, marketing interactions, sales, customer success, financial interactions, maybe some professional services interactions. And the key question from that perspective is, can you make it so that as many interactions as possible are done through the product? And can you make it so that 
the customer has very quick response, easy to interact, et cetera. From a different perspective, scaling up a software company traditionally requires sales and marketing and customer success resources, and they need to grow generally proportionally to the size of the customer base. And there's a key issue that it's expensive. And can you make it so that the product can do more of the work, perhaps thought of as automating away a lot of the other interactions so that you can scale your staff at a smaller rate relative to your customer growth. And I'd love to actually dive deeper there. So as you mentioned, product-led growth certainly puts the product at the forefront of growth, but it doesn't mean you don't still need marketing or sales or customer success. It's just about thinking about how those departments, you know, leverage the product to get scale, as you mentioned. So what are some approaches you've seen work well for either marketing, sales, success, or really any other department in terms of leveraging the product to achieve this type of growth? I think it's really path dependent. I think there are two general paths that companies that have product-led growth as part of what they do take. One is in the early stages, interact with the customers the way a traditional software company would interact. You have marketing, you have sales activity. You're interacting very closely, really good, high bandwidth interactions with your customers to understand what their needs are and what their buying process is and what's the best way to interact with them using a lot of manual activities. And then trying to automate as many of those activities as possible into the product. A very good way of getting going, trying to sort it out, really understanding the customers. And that organic development path really pulls together then product into sales and marketing. A totally opposite path is to try to avoid having sales and marketing resources or having them only working within the context of the product and trying to build a product better and better and better with very limited or no sales resources and keep adjusting your product until you really have figured out how to get the dogs to eat the dog food. That path, that second path is generally a more difficult path. You need a lot of discipline because it's always easy to add sales resources and scale revenue faster, but it can lead to some great benefits longer term, a lot more work up front, but better benefits longer term, perhaps. I think the jury's still out on that. Yeah, it's actually a great point. And this season, we'll have guests from all different departments, but the companies that we'll feature have definitely taken different paths. And so it'll be interesting to hear the challenges and the opportunities that come along with each of those. Yeah, I think the, there isn't a standardized model or a couple of standardized models out there. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on and you know, it's all good. Definitely. And I think that's one of the benefits of product-led growth is if you set it up in a way that you really put the product at the forefront, it leads to have those opportunities to actually experiment and be changing things quickly and getting a read on those results. So what's your take on whether every SaaS business is fit to have product-led growth? Yeah, that's a really good question because the more you have a product that is a complex product and has a complex buying process associated with it, the more companies generally tend towards more traditional approach. 
and the more it's at the other end of the spectrum, maybe small business or or departmental activity or team activity with your product, the more companies seem to be approaching this from from a product-led standpoint. My personal point of view is that the product is an important consideration in the overall mix in the company, as is marketing, as is sales, as is customer success. And if you took marketing and sales and just said, well, how, how has this been done traditionally? The world really started with field sales approach with some marketing supportive field sales as products got created and the price point came down. To some extent, the products were easier to sell. Inside sales or telephone-based sales became easier to do, and people did it because it's a more efficient approach in a lot of ways, easier to scale. With marketing being a lead generator for sales, plus creating some sales enablement material and, and some other things. And then marketing started taking a more dominant role with content marketing inbound approaches where marketing resources actually you know, did a lot more work. And I think the product angle on this is just simply, look, this is the ultimate. Product-led growth is great if you can make it work. But all of those pieces, in my view, are just building blocks for an overall approach. And every company should be considering all of the building blocks. Now, I tend to think if you could be more at the product end of the spectrum, you're going to be better off. But I suspect that the optimal balance of any company has some ingredients of each of those. And I I suspect the more uh, possible customers there are, the lower the price point, the more you're over at the product-led growth inbound marketing end of the spectrum. And the more complex the product, the more complex the buying process, the more the mix is going to be over at the inside sales, field sales end of the spectrum. But my view is that the product should be trying to do as much as the product possibly can do for any software company in any business. It's a great point. And that's something that I think is important for people to keep in mind from day one. It's all about the product. But as companies scale, it's easy to get distracted by all the people coming on and the new departments and new potential opportunities you can tackle, but always remaining laser focused on your core product and how it can best serve your customers seems like a great thing to to keep in mind. I would say it's a very difficult thing to do for companies. As I said earlier, it's a lot easier in the young company stage to scale a company with sales and marketing or perhaps indirect distribution than it is with the product because that's a really hard thing to do. And it's always when you hire a sales manager, the sales manager is going to expect that the the monkey's on their back to grow and they're going to want resources to grow and so there's a lot of internal pressure that can prevent product-led growth company from optimizing the product component of that spectrum. My observation, although I don't know if it's universally true, but my observation is that generally companies tend to do better with that product-led growth when the founder CEO is a product person. I think that has a lot to do with that's the role that's aligning the resources and they're continuously aligning the resources back towards this product-led growth idea to the extent that they are executing product-led growth. But any company can do it. It's a matter of trying to sort out, all right, how do we keep 
the discipline up to try to bake as much as possible into the product. Definitely. So I'd love to also talk about growth more generally, which seems to be just the buzzword of the year in the last couple of years. But let's actually talk about the dark side of growth. So for many reasons, growth at all costs isn't a great idea. So as you work with founders and boards of SaaS businesses, how do you encourage them to balance rapid growth, which everyone wants, versus, you know, making smart investments with the limited capital they have? Yeah, that's a really good question. It starts with, it depends. <laughs> Your inner consultant I, I, is I coming personally out. Have, uh, <laughs> I, I give different advice to different companies in different situations. The first question is, why grow quickly? That kind of is a strange question for a lot of people, but it's an important question to really address. One of the reasons that you generally want to grow quickly is that you want to be the dominant provider in the market because the dominant provider generally gets a really disproportionate market share ultimately in the market. And being that dominant provider first makes a lot of sense. That's completely true. And I agree with it. But the key question in my mind is, okay, what's the probability of becoming the dominant provider in your market? if you grow slower rather than faster in a more capital-conserved way. And the probability is higher of being able to grow more slowly and still become the dominant provider. Generally, if well, in, in absolute terms, when there aren't very many good competitors. And that's generally true in smaller markets. So if you're in a smaller market and you don't have that many competitors chomping at the bit, you also probably don't have the venture capitalists that are as interested in funding these smaller market companies. You might be able to grow at a lower rate than maximum and still dominate your market, which could actually be much better for the entrepreneur. You don't get the dilution and you still get the final answer. Now, if you are just want to get on with it and dominate the market quickly, then you can do that as well. But if you have that spectrum then of, growth points that you can set. The key question is, if you can have the spectrum, well, what do you want to do? And I think it's a taste thing, not as in good, bad taste, but as in, I like vanilla ice cream, other people like chocolate ice cream. What's the set point that appeals the most to you? The maximum growth point, in my view, always has a limit. And if the company has a good economic model, that limit is generally management. Management can't find, hire, onboard, train, get productive resources at a fast enough rate where there is a limited rate, I guess is a better way of saying it. And that's generally where the limit to growth is. And there are companies who have grown faster than that. That's a little like a house of cards that eventually falls apart or parts of it fall apart and it needs to be rebuilt. That is the point. And so my point to managers and most companies do need to grow at a relatively rapid rate because the markets are competitive, but try to get clear that it's management and organization that are going to be the limiting factors. So if you want to grow quickly, make sure that you've got the management infrastructure that's going to be able to allow you to do it and keep building that over time as you build your organization. Definitely. And it's such a, it seems like such a simple question, why grow fast? But I think it's one that is important to continue to revisit. I will also point out that I don't think you really want to hit the accelerator on growth until you're sure, you, until you're sure that 
you've got a model or more more or less a model that is is working um, because if you scale up uh, unworking model it's much more difficult to adjust the model than if you can with a smaller set of resources adjust the model to um, a good enough point and then scale up from there so uh, you know hitting the hitting the growth accelerator you just need to make sure that you're ready for it as well definitely and the other thought that came into my mind was thinking through what are you actually willing to sacrifice to accelerate that growth, right? Because there's certainly a lot of different levers you can pull. And I feel like a really classic one that you see some SaaS businesses do is sacrifice on price. So go in with that uber competitive price point and drive up, you know, this increased customer base. But then there'll come a point where you need to find your sustainable price and having a plan to get you there because you can't just jack up your price one day without increased value in the product or increased support. So thinking through, you know, you may be willing to sacrifice on these levers to achieve some growth in the short term. Maybe it's to become that dominant provider like you mentioned, but thinking through also what is going to be the long-term plan. Price is an interesting thing. As you know, we do a lot of work for our portfolio companies on price. You do a lot of work for our portfolio companies on pricing. And generally the answer, I think it's probably exactly 100%, is that there's a higher price that will be better for the company. Sometimes you can prove it out with analytics, sometimes you can't. But that pricing question is an interesting question because entrepreneurs are so sensitive early on in the development of their company. They need users to use their products so that they can get feedback and then they want eventually to start charging something. And they're very sensitive to losing out on sales. And so they'll do everything they can to try to get the sale, which makes a lot of sense. And as the, as the company strengthens and the product strengthens and the customer value becomes more and more clear to the customers, you do have lots of opportunities to adjust your pricing. And a lot of there's a little bit of a culture right now that seems to be oriented towards, you know, let's give things away. You know, my view is that there's always an optimal. So how do you think about it? What is it? And it's generally not completely giving things away forever. For sure. And even thinking beyond ASP, going back to just metrics generally, as we think about product-led growth companies in particular, from an investor perspective, what are some of the key metrics that you're looking at to identify a healthy and up-and-coming product-led growth company? There are two age-old metrics that are important for every company, particularly important for software as a service, product-led growth companies, but this is true across the board. One is, what does it cost you to acquire a dollar in gross profit? Gross profit is defined as revenue minus the cost to serve the customer. Very important question, what, what does it cost? The second question is, what happens to that dollar over time, uh, uh, dollar in gross profit over time? On the first question, obviously, the lower the cost to acquire a dollar, the better. On the other metric, the more that dollar is growing every year, the better. And those are the fundamental metrics, in my view. And everything else is a metric that supports one or both of those. For sure. And I think many folks think about engagement metrics and a lot of the 
metrics that influence that, but boiling it down to those two, I think is a really important point. Yeah. As you start getting into product-led growth, you're just asking a lot of the questions around like, well, what is the nature of the interaction between the product and the customer? And how does the customer respond to those interactions? But ultimately, you know, do they keep interacting? Do they interact more? Do they bring in their pals to the product? Do they go talk about it and bring in other people who might be colleagues? But ultimately, that is driving one of those two metrics. And my view is the best way to think about metrics is not really to think about metrics, but rather think about what you're trying to achieve with what you are doing and instrument what you're trying to achieve. So at an operational level or a product level, what is it you're trying to achieve? Let's just measure that. <laughs> Let's measure, are we executing the way we Keep thought? Keep it we're... simple. <laughs> exactly. You know, in the early days, in, in 2004, I invested in a company called Exact Target that was an early software as a service company and had no idea how to analyze software as a service companies. And so just started pulling on the string of trying to figure it out. And there weren't any VCs blogging about it because there were very few VCs that invested in software as a service companies at the time. And over time, different people started blogging or writing articles or doing podcasts or just talking about different metrics. And so if you were to be brand new to software companies today and you came in you're overwhelmed with metrics. You're just like, everyone's talking about all these slightly different metrics and so on. And you could easily be left with the idea that you need to measure a lot of things. And I don't think that you need to measure a lot of things. I think what you need to do is figure out really simply, what are we trying to achieve that will either bring down our cost to sale or address a larger market or make the customer more money, create more value for the customer make the customer happier, that's either going to increase your addressable market, make it so that each dollar of gross profit that you're bringing in comes at as low a price as possible or grows the dollars that are already in the door. And if you can do that, then what all you're trying to do is instrument what you are, the tactic that you are executing against and see how that first of all works. Is it working well? And then how is it ultimately affecting the economic metrics that matter. For sure. And also what I would just add, knowing what it's like to be, you know, in-house at fast-growing tech companies, making sure every department, every group, every employee is aligned around those, you know, one or two metrics that really matter can make all the difference. Another hard topic, uh, aligning people yeah. to a small number of things. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we'll save that for a follow-up episode. <laughs> So one last thing I'd love to hear your perspective on is, you know, you've seen product-led growth evolve over the last decade or so. Looking into the future, how do you envision product-led growth evolving over the years to come? Well, I think we're going to see more and more companies that everything happens through the product user interface, which I think is going to be great for customers. And I think it'll be great for the companies that do that. There are some product market limitations to what product markets will allow that to completely happen, but it's going to happen. It's already starting to happen. One of our portfolio companies, Expensify, 
absolutely is disciplined around not adding human resources outside of the product and they've had incredible success doing it. Tomorrow they could go hire some salespeople and expand their revenue at a greater rate, but it will dilute down the effort of trying to make the product do everything, which is really terrific and it makes it so the customers get everything through the product and are extremely happy. So there's going to be that class. And then I think there's going to be more and more companies that wake up and realize that they need their product to do more for them. And I think the, in a lot of ways, I think this boils down to the product management group thinking beyond user value. So in my view, the traditional uh, approach to product management is, hey, we've got users, how are we going to create more value for them? Now it's more complex than that, but it's, that's my simplistic description of it. And they're more and more going to ask the question, what can we do to create buyer value as well? And once they lock into that, I think it's going to be more and more common practice for the product group to be thinking that way, which is the exact way to be thinking if you want to get product-led growth. And no matter what the product, there is a really good set of things that every company can do with respect to product-led growth. And I think more and more companies are going to experiment with it and be innovative and come up with lots and lots of really great bits and pieces of product that other companies will copy. And I think it's going to be a really interesting next 10 to 20 years. I agree. And I think it'll be interesting to see how this product-led growth mentality transcends, you know, not just the industries it's in today, but across industries as well. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, as some smart VC once said, uh, software is eating the world. For sure. Well, Scott, I just want to thank you again for sitting down with us. It was insightful hearing not only your thoughts on what product-led growth was all the way a decade ago to what it is today. So thank you. And we're happy to have you as a guest. Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can subscribe to our newsletter that is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators and founders every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Or you can follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture. Until next time. <laughs>